0: It was through the book of Joshua that we learn God did exactly what He promised to do. He brought the nation of Israel from bondage into Egypt all the way through the wilderness unto the promised land. The Bible says this. The Bible says the Israelites were in bondage to the Egyptians as slaves for about 400 years. But the people of God there in Egypt began to pray and cry out unto the Lord. And the Bible says God heard them, and by His power and through His man Moses, He delivered the people from the hand of Pharaoh. Listen, these people that we read about in the book of Exodus came out of the bondage they were in by the blood of the Lamb. Can you say amen? God became their deliverer. He delivered them from their slavery from their bondage in Egypt. But not only did God deliver them, let me tell you what else He did. God provided for them every step of the way throughout the wilderness journey. There came a time when they got thirsty. They were walking across a desert land in a very dry place, and they couldn't find any water. Matter of fact, the only water they did find, what little water they had, was bitter water. And God, by His power, caused the bitter water to become sweet. How many of you are glad this morning that we serve a God who can make that which is bitter, a blessing. How many of you are thankful this morning we serve a God who can hit a straight lick with a crooked stick? How many of you are thankful this morning God can do what we never thought possible with things that we never thought He could use, with circumstances we never thought He could use? I look at my own life. I think about my past. And folks, I am so glad this morning that even though I've got a past, God took my mess in the past and turned it into a message. That's what God does. That's how big, powerful, amazing God is. That's who He is according to what we find on the pages of the Bible. And how many of you know He hadn't changed? He's still the same. God provided for them. Every step of the way that was in this desert had no water. He turned the bitter water sweet, the Bible says. He turned that which was bitter into a blessing. Then there came a time when they couldn't find any water whatsoever. And from the rock at the Mount of Horeb, God caused water to come from a dry, dusty rock. Gave them what they needed when they were thirsty. He gave them drink. When they were hungry, He gave them something to eat. They began to grumble against Moses and grumble against God, the Bible says. And and God said, all right, if you need something to eat, I'm going to rain down manna from heaven. And so what was happening, they'd get up every morning and all they had to do was just go out and pick up breakfast. The Bible says that men ate angels' food by the power of God. Can you say amen? Rain down manna from heaven. Praise the Lord. Then the people... Began to grumble again. They said, Lord, we're tired of this bread. Our soul loathes this bread. We're sick of eating bread. That's all we've got. And so God caused manna to also fall. But then he caused quail to come and, and lay down beside the manna. And they would just go out and pick the birds up. And they had meat to eat. Why did God do that? Because he's gracious. Because He's good. Because he loves his people and like I've told you over and over and over again God's graciousness his goodness it's not dependent upon us and our character but he is he's faithful to keep what he has promised he was their deliverer if you believe it say amen this morning He was their provider, if you believe it, say amen this morning. But not only that, there came a time at the place called Repidim that the Amalekite army came and made war against Israel. Now, to understand the importance of this, you need to understand a little bit about the Amalekites and a little bit about the Israelites. The Amalekites were a war tribe. They knew about making war. They had studied the art of warfare. They were a trained military unit. They had been in many battles at the time in which they came and faced Israel. They came to destroy the nation of Israel and take the spoils which Israel had brought from Egypt. Now let me tell you something. The Israelites, on the other hand, were completely different. They knew nothing about warfare. Listen, they were pretty much at this time just a bunch of ragtag slaves on the run from Egypt in the middle of a desert. They had not fought any battles. They had no trained army. And so what happened? They came to a place called Repidium. They were down in the valley. That's where the two armies met. Moses himself was told by God to go up onto the mountain and stand there and watch the battle. And the Bible says as long as Moses stood on the mountain with his hands raised in worship to Almighty God, that the nation of Israel prevailed. But the moment Moses began to get tired and his arms began to fall, the nation of Israel would lose the battle. So as long as his arms would up, they would win. And as long as, and when his arms started coming down, they'd start to lose. And so Aaron and Hur, the Bible tells us, said, we can fix this. And so they took a rock and they rolled it over and said, Moses, here, lean on this rock. And Moses leaned on the rock, praise the Lord. Lord. Moses leaned on the rock, praise the Lord. I, I want to preach a message on that I'm going to in the very near future. But he leaned on the rock and then two men of God, two brothers in the Lord, got beside Moses and held his arms up. One got under one arm and the other got under the other arm and so his arms would stand up the whole time and worship and praise to Almighty God until the battle was over and Israel was victorious. What was happening on the mountain determined the outcome in the valley. What was happening on the mountain was God was being worshipped, served, and praised. Can you say amen? <laughs> and that day God gave a bunch of ragtag slaves the victory over a trained military force. Why? Because Israel was tough? Because they were powerful? No, it wasn't because of their powerful. It was because of their power, it was because of God's power. He protected them from the Amalekites, but not only from them, also from all the Canaanites. You remember the story when they went into the land of Canaan? The Bible says as soon as they crossed the Jordan River, they ran headlong into Jericho. And everybody knew about Jericho. Jericho was the walled city. Nobody thought Jericho would ever be defeated or penetrated. Nobody thought any army was ever going to come through the walls of Jericho. Most historians, I've actually read some of the archaeological reports of those who dug the site of Jericho. And they said there at Jericho, uh, the walls were so thick that three chariots could have rolled abreast. That means side by side by side, they could have rolled atop of the wall. They said that those walls were somewhere between 30 and 50 feet tall. So think about that. Solid rock or earth mounded up 30 to 50 feet wide enough for three chariots to ride across on the top. Many of the people who lived in, Jer- in Jericho lived on the wall. You remember the Rahab who protected the spies when they ended into Jericho? She lived on the wall. There was walls big enough to build houses on it. So nobody ever thought Jericho would be penetrated by an invaded army. They were confident sitting behind their walls and knew nobody was ever going to cause them any harm but God. But God. God had already promised this land to the people of Israel. And God makes good on His promise. Now listen. God told the nation of Israel to march around the city once a day for seven days. And then on the seventh day, march around seven times. Blowing the trumpets and giving a shout. The people in obedience and by faith did exactly what God said. And the walls that everybody thought nobody would ever penetrate or tear down, God caused to fall flat. Just like that. Not because they blew them up or tore them down with machinery or had some kind of tactic or way of going in and militarily getting the walls down with a battering ram or something like that. None of that. It was just by the shout of the people that God commanded them to do. Listen to me. God is able to, to tear down the walls in your life that's keeping you from the blessing he promised. But you've got to do things in obedience and faith God's way. The Bible says when the walls fell, the men of Jericho or the fighting men of Jericho took off running. Let me tell you why. Because they saw, just saw God do something only God can do. And the same God who caused the walls to fall down flat could cause the army of the Israelites to come in and kill all them. So they took off running. Gave the city to the nation of Israel. If you believe God was their deliverer, say amen. If you believe God was their provider, say amen. If you believe God was their protector, say Amen. He's all those things. Let me tell you what's so sad about Judges. You don't have to go far in Judges to see these same people whom God delivered completely turned their back on he who delivered them. Happens in chapter 2. I'm not going to go back and read all of this for you, but I'm going to ask you to go back and read for yourself. It'll be a blessing to you. It'll show you something. It'll share with you something straight from the Scripture. In in Judges chapter number 2, you'll find that uh, in chapter 1, before you get there, um, Joshua, all of his days, led the people in many military victories over the Canaanites. And God gave all the land that he had promised to the Israelite people. The Bible says then God told them, When you go in and you conquer all of these areas, there are going to be temples of worship there, altars that are set up for the worship of Baal and for the worship of the Ashtaroths. He said, now when you see those, tear down those altars, tear down down those places of worship. Let me tell you why God told Joshua and the people to tear down the altars. Because he didn't want his people to be corrupted with how the Canaanites worshipped, how the Canaanites lived. How many of you know the nation of Israel was called out by God to be a peculiar treasure unto himself? The nation of Israel was not only, listen, to live for God, but the nation of Israel was called by God to exhibit his character in the earth. They were to share and show the glory of God, listen, by how they lived among all these other pagan peoples. And God said, I don't want you to worship like them. I don't want you to live like them. I want you to live for me because I've got a purpose for you. Listen to me, Mount Zion. Listen to me, child of God. You need to understand God's purpose for you is that you too are a peculiar treasure. And God has called us to live for Him in a lost and dying dark world where we are to be the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. He lives in us. Listen, shines through us in a very dark place. That's what He wanted them to be. And he says, tear down those altars. But the Bible says they didn't tear them down. And so God sent an angel to them in Judges chapter 2. And he says, through the angel of the Lord, he says, look, you, since you didn't tear down these altars, God promised you He's going to be with you. God promised you He's going to bless you. God promised you he, you were going to be a peculiar treasure unto Himself. But if you don't tear down these altars, if you go and worship the gods of the Canaanites, the gods of Baal and the Ashtaroth, when you choose to do that, I'm going to set my face against you. And The Bible says the people under the leadership of Joshua repented. Praise God for Joshua. They repented. They turned back to the Lord. They tore down the altars. And for all the days of Joshua in Judges 1, the Bible says the people served the Lord. Then Joshua died. And one generation following the death of Joshua, the people turned their back on the Lord and began worshiping Baal and the Ashtaraz, whom God told them they shouldn't do. One generation. A generation by most people who study genealogy usually lasts between 15 and 30 years. That's what they say. And that short amount of time, the people completely forgot about the God who was their deliverer, about the God who was their provider, about the God who was their protector. They turned their back on the, on the Lord. Listen to me now. And the Bible says, God set his face against them. Are you hearing me? Isn't it sad? These people acted a lot like we act sometimes. Sometimes I feel as though we've got the mentality when it comes with our relationship with the Lord, well, Lord, what have you done for me lately? And we just forget about all he's done in the past. We forget all about he's doing all the things he's doing in the present, things that we don't even know about. How many of you understand? Listen to me. If you this morning are a child of God, you've been blood bought and born again into God's family. Do you know that you've been delivered from the bondage of sin? And the Bible says, "Whom the Son sets free is free indeed," and all of that happened by the blood of the Lamb. Do you know he's your deliverer? Do you know that your sins have been washed clean? Do you know that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Do you know you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit? Do you know that God calls you his son or daughter? Praise the Lord. We are delivered. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Romans 8 1. Do you know you've been delivered? Let me tell you something else. Do you know He's your provider? The Bible says in James 1.17 that every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. With whom is no variableness neither shadow of turning. That means every time you come before the Lord you come before the same God. He does not change. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, tomorrow and forever. The theologians use the word immutable. It just means unchanging. God is immutable. He does not change. He's always good. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from the Father of Lights. Philippians 4.19 says it like this. My God shall supply all my need according to His riches and glory. That means God provides my needs and your needs not according to our riches, but His. Let me say that again because I don't think you even got it. My God and your God provides our needs not according to our riches, but His. That means the clothes on your back the shoes on your feet, the food on your table, the house you live in, the job you have. You said, oh, no, wait a minute, brother. I'm one of those hardworking people that pulled myself up by the bootstraps and I made my own way in the world. Nobody's gave me nothing and I've worked for everything I've got. Be careful with that attitude of pride for the Bible says in Deuteronomy 8:18, 8, it is God who gives us the ability to produce wealth itself. That means God gave you your job and the knowledge to do it. God gave you the opportunities you've gotten and blessed them when you got them. That's for each and every one of us. He is our provider. Man, I think about how good God is and sometimes I look at my own self and I think, Lord, why? Why do you bless me like you bless me? Why do you keep being good to me when I fail you so much? Brothers and sisters, I was going to work Thursday morning and Lord just got all over me. A man pulled out in front of me out here at the Dollar General in Weston. Let me make something real clear to you. I don't agree with road rage. But I understand it. I don't agree with it. It's not right. Shouldn't be doing it. But I understand it. And I don't know why I, don't, I guess I just hadn't made Maybe I wasn't I, I, I woke up good. Maybe I was just being a jerk. I don't know, but I just got mad. I got so stinking mad, I, I just got all over me. And I thought for a minute, I'm fixing to stop him. And I got run right up on his bumper. And I thought when he stops, I'm stopping. I was flashing my lights. We got up to the red light in Hamilton. And it was a little old lady looking through the crack of her steering wheel. And I thought, you idiot. It's amazing how quickly we forget whose, whose we are. It's amazing how at the drop of a head, the snap of a finger, your witness can be ruined. It's amazing how quick we forget how good God's been to us and what He's told us to do. He is our deliverer. He is our provider. Can I say something else? Folks, He's your protector. He hasn't changed. You say, Brother what do you mean? How does God protect me in ways you don't even realize? You know what might have happened Thursday morning? I might have been running too fast because I wasn't behind that little old lady who pulled out in front of me. And I might have got T-boned somewhere between here and the workplace that I was going to and I might have lost my life just like that. But you know what might have happened? God in his mercy might have caused that little old lady to pull out in front of me and slow me down and to keep me from going faster than I need to go so that I wouldn't get in the wreck that I was fixed to get into. That might have happened. I mean, I don't know that that happened. See, what I'm trying to tell you is this. I don't think we even know how much God protects us, and we'll never know how much God protects us until one day we're in heaven. And we begin to see just how good God has been to us when we didn't even know He was being good to us. When we didn't even understand. And you know, we wonder, how are we going to praise Jesus throughout all eternity? Well, that's a good place to start right there. Lord, I didn't know it, but thank you. Lord, I didn't know this could have happened to my kids, but thank you for doing this, and that didn't happen. Lord, I am so thankful that even though that came back negative when I went to the doctor's office, I thought it was just a coincidence, but God, you were working in that, and you brought healing when I prayed. God, I am so thankful that you caused this to happen so that that didn't happen, and Lord, I'm thankful that I didn't see the whole picture, but you always did, and God, I'm thankful that you took bad things in my life, or at least what but I proceeded to be bad, proceeded to be bad, and you turned it into good. Ah, Because God's our protector. Oh, praise Jesus. That's who He is. But now listen. Judges six one says this. The people of God, the children of Israel, did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian. Everybody see it? It started in Judges 2. It's continued all the way to Judges 6. They're continually doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Bible says then that the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Midianites. Look down at verse number 6. Watch this. And Israel was greatly impoverished because the Midianites and the children of Israel, watch this now, cried unto the Lord. I love that verse. Let me tell you why I love that verse. I love it because when we see there, when God's people get on their face before God and cry out unto Him, by His mercy and grace, He still chooses to listen. I've heard people say, you know what, God's a God of second chances. Yeah, that's right. He's also got a third and fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh. And I'm thankful His mercies are new for His people every morning. Every morning. That's how good He is. Now I don't know about you, that don't make me want to go out and live however I want to live just because I know God will forgive me, just because I know God will listen to me. That makes me want to go out and please Him because He's so good. He's so gracious. Bible says they cried. And then we're going to see in Judges 6 and 7, God heard them. And he heard them and gave to them a man to lead them by the name of Gideon. The Bible says in verse number 6 there, go back to verse number 6, please that Israel was greatly impoverished because the Midianites. Here they are in the land of promise. Here they are in the, in the, the land flowing with milk and honey. And the Bible says they became in, in poverty because of the enemy. Now the enemy who was a physical enemy, the Midianites, who were actually a descendant of the Amalekites that happened all the way back in Rephidim. this same old thing coming right back again. I, I think that's important for us to note. Because let me tell you what happens in my life. It's some of the same old stuff that I've dealt with over and over and over and over again that comes back at me. You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those things that really eat at you, those things that really tempt you, those things that really come against you to cause you to stumble and fall. The enemy knows those things in your life, and he will bring it back to you over and over and over again. Listen, God provided victory over the Amalekites back in Exodus, but here they come again in Judges, just with another name, the Midianites, descendants of the same people. And the Bible says, when that enemy came, they came and stole God's blessing. Now listen, how many of you know whether it's a physical enemy or a spiritual enemy, the enemy comes to steal your blessing. We have a spiritual enemy. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 7, that we're to be sober and be vigilant because our adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now listen, Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse number 10, the thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. How does our spiritual enemy come against us? Why does our spiritual enemy come against us? To steal the blessing God has promised. Oh, listen to me, daddies. The enemy is coming for our kids. Are you praying for those young'uns? Are you teaching those young'uns? You, oh, listen to me now. Are you going to bat for them on your knees in prayer? We better be. Listen, are we teaching them the truth of the Word of God? We better be. The devil, our enemy, Wants to steal our blessing, kill, steal, and to destroy. That's what he came for. That's what he does his job and he knows it well. Does it very well. Now listen, the Bible says there are ways, principles that we can take straight from the word of God that give us victory and we see that in the life of a man by the name of Gideon. Judges chapter 6, verse number 11. Let's go on down. Look what this tells us. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak tree, which was in Ophrah, and pertained unto Joash the Abysserite and his son Gideon. Watch this now. Threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. (laughs) Everybody see it? Threshed wheat in the winepress. Now to get a hold of that, we didn't know a little bit about the wine press and the threshing floor. The wine press was a vat that was actually dug out into the ground and then lined with wood to make a a barrel in the ground, so to speak. And what you would do, you'd take your harvest of grapes and pour them all into that wine press. And then people, two, maybe three people, however big the press was, would get in there with their feet and they would stomp around on the grapes and squish all the juice out. And that juice would run out of that vat, through a tube, and they would collect that juice to create the wine. That's the wine press. The the wine is being pressed out of the grapes. Now that was down in the ground. Now that wouldn't want a threshing floor was, a threshing floor was some place that was usually put on a high place, on a hill, so the wind would blow. You see, you needed the wind to blow the wheat, and what they would do, they would get out there with these pitchfork-like tools, and they would get all of their wheat on a threshing floor, and that threshing floor would have a grate over it, and they would have a catch pin underneath. You would stand on the grate with the wheat, and you would then take that wheat and pitch it up into the air. Now listen to me. The threshing floor would do this. When you'd pitch that wheat up into the air and the wind would blow it, the kernels of wheat weighed more than the chaff. And so the kernels of wheat would fall down into the floor while the chaff was blew away. But it took the wind to be able to do that. It needed to be on a high place, on a windy place. But here you have Gideon deep down in the wine press threshing wheat. Why? Because he's afraid of the enemy. He's afraid. Of the Midianites. That's what the Bible says. Now, watch what happens. Verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. The first point that I want you to see, the first principle to victory, you got to see Gideon's vision. Amen. First of all, you got to see the vision of Gideon himself. Gideon, I don't think, sees himself as how God sees Gideon. The angel of the Lord comes and says, You're a mighty man of valor. And here's Gideon down in a wine press threshing wheat because he's afraid of the enemy. He don't look like a man of valor. I don't think he feels like a man of valor. And I bet when the angel of the Lord came unto Gideon and said, Hey, you're a mighty man of valor. You've got some courage in you that you knew nothing about. I bet Gideon was turning around looking if, if the Lord was talking to somebody behind him. I mean, he didn't think of himself that way. What he saw in himself is not what God saw. His vision of himself was not the right vision. Now let me tell you something. The only vision we need, the only vision that we must have as the people of God, is not how we perceive ourselves, how we see ourselves, but how God sees us. How do you know? It don't matter what we think, really, and it don't matter what other people think. Sometimes we put too much stock in how other people think about us. How other people see us. Quit doing that. You need to start believing what God says about you. Listen to me. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Somebody say amen because that's true. That's what God says about you. Young ladies, do not pay attention to what the world says about how you should look. Supposed to look what they put in magazines as to what uh, the, the ideal woman is supposed to be like, all of that stuff, most of it, is just as fake as it can be anyway. It's a marketing campaign to get you to buy a product. Quit worrying about what everybody else says about you, thinks about you. Remember, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You don't, there should never be, never be an identity crisis among the people of God because we know what God says. The Bible says we are blessed and highly favored in the apple of God's eye. Somebody say amen. The Bible says we are loved. The Bible says we are valued. Not that we are worthy, but God sees value in us so much so that He put His Son on the cross on our behalf. Quit worrying about what other people think and what other people say and how other people see you. Worry about what God sees in you. That's what matters. Gideon's vision of himself did not match God's vision. I remember when I finally got serious with the Lord and the Lord got serious with me and I surrendered the call to preach. A lot of the people that I was going hanging around with at that time, you know what they said? That'll last about two weeks. They'd laugh and snigger and say, Oh, we'll see you in about a month. You know, we know how this goes. Well, praise the mighty name of Jesus. That was 22 and a half years ago. Now listen, I, in no way am I trying to be prideful or arrogant in that. It's only by the grace of God that's able to, able to happen. Believe me. I tried it my way. I tried to fix myself. I couldn't fix myself. I tried to get right. I couldn't get right. I tried to be happy. I couldn't be happy. I tried to find peace and purpose. I couldn't find it. Oh, but listen, when I got right with him, everything started to make sense. Life began to come into focus. Praise the Lord. He's been with me every step of the way. But if I'd have listened to what everybody else said, not only my friends, but also my family, if I'd listened to what everybody else said, I'd have still been right where I was. I'm not going to listen to what other people say and think about me. I'm going to listen to what God says about me. The, the angel of the Lord come and said, hey, you're a mighty man of courage. Notice how Gideon saw himself, but notice how God saw him. Now, you also need to see Gideon's vision of God or the vision he received. Go down with me to verse number 20, brother, if you will please. Judges chapter 6, verse number 20, and the angel of God said unto him, take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon this rock and pour out the broth, and he did so. So what God told him to do through the angel was to lay down a piece of of cake and flesh there on a stone and then pour the broth, some type of broth from from an animal, pour that over the the flesh and the the bread. Look at verse 21. Watch what the Bible says. And the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes and there rose up a fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes and the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now what's that mean? That means that God showed Gideon something about himself that Gideon needed to see. Gideon got a right vision of who God is and what God could do. It's our God who can take a cake of bread and flesh that's been wet down with broth and touch a stone, cause fire to come from it, and consume the stone and the bread and the flesh and all of it by his power. When Gideon got a right vision of God, let me tell you what happens. Two things happens when you get a right vision of God. First of all, you'll fear God more than you fear man. See, some of you are not serving Jesus because you're afraid of what somebody else is going to say about you. You know what's right. You know what God's called you to. You know what God's promised you. You know what God said, you've been taught, but you're not willing to serve and put yourself out there for the Lord because you're afraid somebody else is going to say something bad about you, laugh at you, talk about you, don't want to hang around with you. You, you, You've got that complex where you fear really man more than you fear God. But when you get a right vision of God, you'll fear God more than you fear man. Let me give you the second statement. When you get a right vision of God, you will serve Him, you will serve God, rather than serve your own selfish needs. Wants. A lot of times, you know who we serve as God? Self. We do what we want, how we want, when we want. Instead of praying, asking God to lead, and then following the leadership that He gives, we need a right vision who God is not only do I want you to see Gideon's vision of himself and the vision he got of the Lord but now listen you need to see Gideon's valor his courage the angel said Gideon you are a mighty man of courage he was right because God used Gideon to defeat the army of the Midianites The one who was so afraid of the Midianites, he was threshing wheat in a wine press. How did Gideon get from the place where he was to what God did for him? When you get a right vision of God, you'll receive the valor you need to do what God calls you to do. That's true of a church collectively. Folks, listen to me we need to always remember we still serve the God of the Bible. He hasn't got sick. He hasn't got old. He's still the same. And He's still able. We need to ask big things of a big God in faith. And I believe our big God will do big things. We need to serve Him and love Him and trust Him because He's never failed us yet. Amen? Not only does it work collectively as a church, but it works individually. When you get a right vision of God, He will give you the valor you need, the courage you need to do what He's called you to do. Some of you right here this morning, you know God's called you to something. I don't know what it is. Maybe somebody here has been called to preach. Maybe somebody here this morning have been called to witness to your neighbor the person at your workplace. You know that's what God wants from you and you're so afraid that you can't do it. Listen to me. You can't do it. But you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. It's not me. It's Him. It's not you. It's Him. It's us full of Him doing his work by his power. Get a right vision. The vision of God changes everything. When you realize how good, how gracious, how powerful, how mighty he truly is, how real he truly is, how he is, listen, faithful to what he's promised, when you realize he listens to the prayers you pray and sees every situation you're in, when you realize he always has your best interest at heart. When you realize he's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. When you realize he's our ever-present help in the time of need. When you realize he's our fortress and our strong tower. When you realize he's our protector. That we're, Listen to me now. The Bible promises that angels encamp about the righteous. <laughs> when you realize he's our provider, our deliverer. When you realize who he is. When you get that right vision makes all the difference. You say, "Brothers, I've never seen God. You know, we've got something better than Gideon even had. We've got the truth of God's Word written down on the page, and we've got the person of the Holy Spirit. It's through the person of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the Word of God that He is revealed unto us that we see truly who He is. The first two principles of victory for each and every one of us Vision and valor. Courage not in who we are, but who he is. Everybody stand together. This is your invitation this morning. If you need the Lord in any way, I'm going to ask you to come. These altars are always open. Brother, if you will, play for us.